Welcome to another Art of the Frame podcast on Pro Video Coalition. I'm your host, Scott Simmons. This week I sit down and chat with Chancellor Haynes. I wanted to chat with Chancellor about music video editing. He and I both have a history of editing music videos, and they're a very unique little art form. We talk about things such as dealing with artists, performances, dealing with directors, as well as a number of things about other stuff he does, like editing commercials. He also tells one of the greatest stories I've ever heard about how two collaborators begin working together, so stay tuned for that. This week's podcast is brought to you by Massive, the fastest way to send and receive Massive video files. Send uncompressed dailies, lock pictures, DCPs, and more with Massive. Keep listening to hear how you can receive 100 gigabytes for free towards your next file transfer. Chancellor, thanks for sitting down on this Art of the Frame podcast and talking about your editing and music videos and commercial spots and just, you know, a lot of the fun uh, that is editorial these days. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've been, I've been following you on Twitter for quite a few years and we have a connection that goes way back and that is Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. I cut a couple of her, like her very first music video and then I don't know if it was like the third or the fourth and you've cut pretty much tons of them since then so it's like it's a it's a great great connection it's a full circle there yeah <laughs> yeah so she i mean her career certainly uh ballooned over over the many years let's let's first talk about uh i want to talk a little bit about where you got your your start because okay. you cut have cut some of the biggest music videos that i think anybody has ever seen you, you do a lot of uh, high-end spots and commercials how did you where did that path come from well i started off as just a movie fan fanboy uh from texas i was born in uh michigan but um my mom and i moved to dallas in fourth grade so when i was in fourth grade so i, I kind of just was a, a film fanatic since i can remember and i didn't really have like you know the opportunities and the things around me in texas to just like pursue it per, per se so i kind of just like shot my own little videos with my uh, VHS camcorder and played around and played Power Rangers and all those little things. And, and, you, and you know, there are people listening to this who don't necessarily know what VHS is, which is... I realized that as I was saying it. <laughs> as I was mentioning it, I was like, no one's going to know what that is. Old school videotape. <laughs> right. Old school videotape. Uh, but no, I I was basically just a, a fanboy. And um, I had the opportunity to uh, go to Full Sail in Florida uh, right after high school. And um, out there is where I kind of like started to learn more about the craft and uh, learn Avid and Premiere and uh, all the different like aspects of filmmaking. Because before then, I was just a fan and didn't really know much about it. Uh, but it was at Full Sail that I was also going to the movies every weekend because that's kind of just what I did. And one uh, weekend, I saw a movie that was just kind of like the best thing I had ever seen. And it was called Torque. It came out in 2004. Oh, yeah. And it was a motorcycle movie. And I was like, what is this cinematic awesomeness? <laughs> I was just like blown away. Directed by your friend. and Directed by the BFF, Joseph Kahn. And at that time, I, I had seen a few of his music videos, but I didn't really like follow him because I didn't really have cable so I wasn't watching music videos like that but uh, after that movie I started like trying to find more of his videos and so uh, fast forward a little bit to like 2008 I was already out of film school and I wasn't really you know uh, in any film jobs quite yet but I was still kind of just into film and trying to do my own thing and uh, MySpace was a popular site as popular as Twitter is now. Wait, let's pause a second. <laughs> so, so we're uh, we're three minutes into this, and we've already referenced VHS and MySpace. Yep, this and, is and, awesome. And movie theaters, which and, you know, yes. <laughs> you, you go to those places, you sit down and watch a movie in the darkness with other people. Exactly, it's a great experience. It's 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 one of the greatest inventions. You know, maybe kids will experience it one day. I found Joseph Kahn on MySpace, at just like a regular fanboy, and was pretty much just like giving him his props on the movie. And he instantly like remembered me from some comments that I made on IMDb the day after I saw the movie. Cause I was, I was on there and realized that I was the only person that liked the movie at the time. And I was kind of just telling everybody off, like, you don't understand how awesome this is. This is the best thing, you know? And he remembered that. And so we kind of just kind of like became friends from MySpace and kept in contact uh, from like 2008 till 2010 or 11 when I moved to LA. 
and just kind of started working together. He started giving me PA jobs on his commercials and music videos. And one day he let me edit a trailer to his movie Detention just just for fun. You know, I hadn't been on an Avid since Full Sail and I wanted to just practice. And he liked my first cut and kind of just like the rest is history. We just started, I started cutting his things and, wow. you know, videos became commercials and eventually he let me edit his movie and, you know, I started working with other people and, you know, he kind of just started my whole career, basically. I mean, that's an incredible story. I, I guess I just assumed that perhaps, I, I don't know, I didn't know how the the connection was made. It's pretty that simple. <laughs> I had no clue that it involved literally commenting on the internet. And like, that's, that, that's I don't, I don't even know how to, I'm, I'm floored by that, by that story there, man. That, what a, what a great story though. I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that sort of shows your, your talent and what you're doing in editing and post-production because it's where you get the shot and you're able to deliver on the shot that you got. You know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if you didn't know, if you weren't good at editing, if you didn't have the the aesthetic and the sensibilities to be able to to cut, and many people don't, then you, it wouldn't have taken off from there. Because I mean, he could have very easily looked at your looked at your cut of the um, of the trailer you did and said, you know what, this is awesome, and giving you some pointers on how to get better. But just moved on to other people and continued the yeah. friendship, continued some of the work he had been given you. But he's he passed along some of the biggest music videos he, he's ever touched, and in feature films to you as well. Mm-hmm. So the trust there, I mean, must have. It, it sounds like it happened pretty organically, but pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, he. Was he's always been like super gracious with like his knowledge of filmmaking and honestly I mean I went to film school but I learned more working with him and just hearing his conversations and watching him work than I did in a whole year or any time before that watching behind the scenes documentaries and listening to commentaries like yeah I learned on the job basically I got the job and started learning what was the first music video you cut for him I think it was it was a Japanese video for AKB48 um, that I don't think it released it probably released over there but um, it was the first thing I put on a reel <laughs> so it was fun it was a uh, it was something we shot in Japan and it was uh, all in Japanese language so it was a very fun learning curve on how to sync audio to a language I didn't know so <laughs> oh, that's a that's a any, anytime you're working in, a, in not your native language it can be uh, it can be a challenge well did you have experience in music videos or did it just come along that he had that and, and you were there to help him help him cut that well I kind of I guess by experience I had uh, we can say that I dabbled in just playing around uh, you know, when I after film school, I moved to Atlanta with like an old film school roommate and we were trying to shoot our own music videos. And so um, most of it just either ended up on YouTube or just something to like get our practice in. And I, you know, shot videos for friends uh, and I kind of had an idea of how how the process went just from kind of, you know, watching the MTV making the videos and just from whatever I saw on TV and whatever I learned at Full Sail. And so I knew the process of capturing performance and telling a story. And uh, I just kind of emulated that. So once I got with Joseph, it was just kind of fine tuning and learning like the actual process and how it worked. And I think his process is like, like stellar in the way that, you know, most people will go out and just shoot entire performances and just different setups. And most music videos are pretty much directed by art direction and not really you know, visually composed as far as storytelling. And so Joseph comes from a whole feature film aspect of directing commercials and music videos where, you know, you are telling a story, every shot is kind of planned out and, you know, it's kind of, he, he it's, it's fun to shoot and edit with Joseph because his things are so planned out that no matter how someone tries to edit it, you know, if it has to go through a, a long line of, you know, suits and label and artists notes a lot a lot of times it comes out good anyway because he's already shot it in the way that no matter how you cut it together it just looks good oh don't sell yourself short man because you know there's still bad performances in there and uh (laughs) there's always some some way to um to mess something up i mean i think a lot of people when they think about music videos they think that they are very simple because it is an artist lip syncing to a bunch of takes of the song. Mm-hmm. You can throw it into a timeline. You could almost hit sort of like an auto an auto edit button if it existed. I think it maybe does exist in uh, Resolve these days. And you could just, and you have a music video just like that. But that's, but that's not the case. Now, yeah, a lot, most all of his videos you mentioned has a story to it. It's not all just performance, but there is often artist performance within the story itself. Yeah. Talk to me. I'd love to hear your approach to, 
when you have artist performance, how do you approach that performance first and foremost? Because an artist has to look good. They have to be in sync. There's, just, there's a lot of things you have to hit right. to make the artist, you know, the artist has to be comfortable with what they're seeing there. How do you, how do you, or maybe you don't, maybe you approach the story first, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your approach to it when you do have performance in there. Well, there are very good performance videos that we've done that are pretty performance driven. And with those, it's it's also storytelling. I mean, you have a way to make progressions in the edit and make progressions in their performances that, you know, it builds to something. So you're not just seeing the same thing for the whole four minutes of the video. You know, uh, there was a video that we did for um, Jennifer Lopez called De Niro, and that was mainly a performance video. but the way that it was shot and the way that we, you know, pieced the edit together, it was kind of building up to different things that you would see every time, you know, every other two or three seconds, you know? So it wasn't like a repeat of the same scene and, you know, there's, there's different shots that you build to and you don't, and you have progressions and shots where you pay them off, you know, every other, every three shots or something like that. So was it the type of performance video where you've got multiple different setups where, okay, she's on the yeah. bridge and then she's in the kit and I'm just making this up on the bridge in the kitchen, standing by the wall, uh, you know, in, in the water, where are you, are you talking more where you maybe start with the bridge and you, and you live in the bridge a while, then you maybe go to the water a little while before you reach a place where you can kind of intercut those things. Cause I guess it, that may be a place where the director's vision comes in that they don't want to see certain setups together, but maybe as an editor, you're seeing things that the director didn't, didn't see when they were thinking it through because you've combed through the footage pretty intimately. A lot of times um, the, the setups will kind of be for the point in the song that's necessary. And I just try to find the rhythm within those setups to, to make them shine. So you don't always see a repeat, but uh, you do, you may see the same setup, uh, for like the first part of the verse and then it goes to the second part and then, you know, there's a special section for the bridge. Talking about how you approach this, when you have lots of performance, they, uh, obviously the artist is lip syncing to usually play back on the set. There are multiple takes of a particular setup at, at any given point. I don't know what your your record is for how many, how many takes you may have at any given point in, in a song. And sometimes they overlap. Yeah. You may have, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, how do you first, when you look at that mountain of footage, it's often kind of the same thing over and over and over in a sense. How do you go in and start picking in into that performance to find that good stuff? Is it, it, it can just, it can sort of seem insurmountable at times if you have too much of it. Yeah. I mean, um, if we're not doing the process that I normally do with Joseph, whereas when we shoot on set, I'm usually picking the selects and picking the shots as we shoot it. And I'm, placing them in the edit and finding so i'm actually seeing it happen live and i'm picking what i like and kind of just placing it in as it go as i go but if i'm doing the other method where i get all the footage at once i will i'll just go one shot at a time and find all the good moments and kind of build my timeline in that regard like i kind of you know based on the song i know how the structure will be and it's and sometimes instead of pulling selects into just a selects bin or a select sequence, I just make my selects on the actual edit and find one I like and piece it in there and play the puzzle that way. How often are you working on set on a music video versus doing everything after the fact? Well, when I'm working with Joseph, it's on set all the time. And we've we've just started doing the on set thing via uh Ecamm Live, Zoom and Frame.io lately, which it's pretty cool, but um, I do like being on set with them because I can actually see the setups happen and kind of feel, you know, what his process was. And it kind of lets me see the shots as they happen. And it kind of gives me a different uh, idea of how I want to put it in there. Like I'll see a shot happen and I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use this moment right here. And I know exactly where to find it. You know, you use the word moment. And that, and I think that's an important word when it comes to, to music videos, because mm -hmm. A music video is a showcase for an artist, first and foremost. That's, exa that's exactly what it is. And my experience with the – I've cut many music videos myself, which is one reason I want to have this conversation because mm -hmm. uh, it's fun to talk them, is that you look for moments. Artists have moments. They have a moment when, they're, when they're, they're, their eye sort of captures something looking at the camera. There's a moment when they seem to do a, a piece of a performance better that one time than all the other 25 times that that was shot. It's just all about those moments. Are you, 
are you, uh, when you're on set, you're seeing them in a different way than if you're seeing them on your, on your screen when you're, when you're in the avid, yes. are you, uh, sub clipping? Are you, uh, putting markers on there? Do you watch everything and just grab little bits and pieces? And then you end up with this, you know, gigantic, humongous puzzle that you then have to resort through again. But how do you, how do you categorize those moments as being the one? So I love to use markers. Um, I usually just look through footage and I find moments that I like and I mark it right then and there. Sometimes I'll just mark it with a green marker in Avid um, and then put a little note by it. Or sometimes I'll just make a bunch of little marks that I can skip to when I'm trying to find a certain part of a scene. Because all my clips are named based on the scene and who's in it. So instead of pulling actual selects and putting them on a time on a sequence or subclips, I kind of just mark everything and start laying things into the timeline based on what I felt when I saw it, how I initially reacted to it. So when we're talking about performance stuff, that obviously has to be in, in sync with the, uh, with, with, with the music. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about syncing for a second, because, you know, traditional music videos and, and they're shot so many different ways these days in, in a year or years ago, when, when there was a, a time code slate, that was uh, sunk with an audio pack. So you had a, you had a, a, a piece of audio that had time code yeah. that matched up with that slate. So it was always easy to get, get the stuff in, in sync. Uh, assuming the artist didn't mess up. That's not often the case anymore. How do you deal with, with, with sync? And if you have to uh, cheat shots and is it, and I find that many music video editors, they just have a trouble trying to keep stuff in sync or trying to even look at something and, and they sort of second guess themselves and say, I, I can't tell if this is in sync anymore, but that's such an important part of music videos. Is there, is there mm-hmm. any strategies for that type of thing? Well, you're right. A lot of times, um, Music videos don't always slate, you know, use a slate to sync the time code. Sorry. A lot of times music videos today don't use a slate to sync the time code. So it is kind of a lot of eye matching sometimes. And um, the best way around that is uh, just kind of knowing the song enough to know, you know, what's happening in the scene. Uh, A lot of times there's wide shots where you can't really see the the mouth and you can't really tell the lip sync. And the only way you can really make sure it's in sync is just by your eye, you know? So there's really no shortcuts around it besides making sure that they slate and give you a good time code to sync to with the audio track. But yeah, I usually I usually have to eye match a lot of things. Eye matching for sync is is kind of a an art 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 into itself, and it's one of those things that I think once you do it enough, you just kind of learn the feel of it, and it can be yeah, it can, it can be tricky to get there. I think so many music videos these days, especially lower budget ones, they don't use a slate at all, and it's all just uh, you capture the playback on the set. I don't know how many times I've heard when I've asked about sync, and I'll and it's the answer is oh, can't you just use pluralize? Yep, so many times. Yep, <laughs> and and you can, but but it's, sometimes it's like it's just not as easy as you might think sometimes. And then there are times when they say, can't you just use pluralize and you get the the footage and there's no scratch audio and it's mm-hmm. just silence. And then you're like, well, pluralize doesn't work when there's silence. Exactly. It's just feet to the grindstone, making it happen. Uh-huh. When you have music videos that are story driven, most of them usually have some kind of performance, but sometimes they don't. And it's all just like a mini movie, which music videos is part of the fun of them. They're, they're mini movies. But mm-hmm. what is the approach when you have a, a story? Because I'm sure often the story is structured around certain parts of the songs. But then again, if you have great performance, you may want to showcase and move story around from where you may have thought it was originally going to land. So how, how does how does story come into the play? If the performance is a standard performance where it's, you know, built around just singing to the camera performance and the, the performance isn't actually in the the story. Like the person's not, you know, singing to the other person or they're driving in the car, you know, musical style. And it's just a straight music video performance with uh, the story built around it. A lot of times it's best to build your performance first. Make sure you have a good performance video and then you pepper in the story pieces on top of that. Are there times when you find that, oh my God, I have too much good performance or I have too much good story, you know, one that really outweighs the other. And, 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 and it's evident as you've, as you've made your cut. You know, I, I think I did run into this uh, similar thing with the Jonas Brothers, uh, What a Man Gotta Do video, because we kind of built that video performance first, although we had the performance strategically where it needed to be, but we had uh, an all performance video first and then peppered in all the story beats 
uh, on top of that. And there was a moment towards the end for the very last end sequence um, that was all performance and all singing and dancing. And uh, we sent a cut to the label and at, at first they wanted it just like that. Like they didn't want the the story beats put in there because the performance was so fun. But um, we were like, we, we got to try and see if we could fit, you know, some other moments in here to kind of tie in the things we were doing at the front end, you know? So uh, that's one instance where sometimes it could be really jam packed with good performance and you feel like you don't need the story or there's no room for it, but there's always ways to, you know, find, find places to put it. Well, you mentioned sending it over to the label. Uh, it's one topic I want to discuss is dealing with not just artists, but you have artist management. You have, uh, God forbid, hair and makeup want to chime in on something they don't like. You have um, the the record label folks. You have executives. It's it's it can be a it can be a real uh, minefield to walk to walk through sometimes. I'm curious: is are, are you shielded from that type of stuff working with a director like like Joseph, who probably has a has a real much a big relationship with the labels and with the management, or are you in a place sometimes where you have to kind of get your get your feet in the in the mud, if so to speak, with with artists, with uh, dealing with management and things like that? You know, it depends on the video. Depend it depends on the label, honestly, because. Um, I mean, I'm right there in the thick of it with him, and I I kind of feel his pain. Sometimes he gets some crazy notes back. Sometimes they respect his artistry and don't give him many notes. Like, uh, there's there's times when, for instance, I mean, when we did stuff for Taylor Swift, she had very minimal notes all the time. She was kind of just like, can we just change this part? Or, you know, she liked a different performance, but there was never any kind of restructuring or just blowing up the edit when we worked with her. What a good feeling that is, though. That kind of helps justify what what you, what you do and what what the creative folks were doing to to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, he gets and he gets that more often than not. Like most people respect where he comes from and know they they understand that he knows what he's doing and they don't give him a lot of notes. But every now and then, you know, we'll get some really crazy notes from certain people and we'll have to find ways to deliver on those notes, but still keep the video intact. Um, and then, you know, sometimes he pushes back too, but he'll, he'll send the notes to me and I'll tr- try to do my best to answer them and keep everything intact. And sometimes they'll be like, well, I'm going to try and push back on this. And we kind of just find a balance and see what can be done. Notes in, in general are always a balance, I think, between whoever's giving them and the editor and and the director, because there, there are things you find as you're editing that either this works amazingly well, we never thought about this, I want to be able to keep this in there, versus this did not work at all. I know you have a grand vision for this. Sometimes it's director, sometimes maybe it is the label, Mm -hmm. and it just didn't work. And you have to get that point across to them without, sometimes kind of tactfully without just, you know, saying you don't know what you're talking about, but I don't know. I mean, right. <laughs> you, you, you can probably tell him and that's what's, that's a great thing about a good director editor relationship is once you get that shorthand there, I think you can often, mm-hmm. you know, he knows what you're thinking, you know what he's thinking. You can tell him some stuff. You probably couldn't tell other directors or certainly couldn't tell artists or, or management people. Right. You guys have worked together long enough. So I'm sure you have that, that shorthand at this point built really well. We definitely do. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's times where he just like, lets me go and cut and he knows what to expect and I know what to what to give him and it's very little fine-tuning sometimes and you know it's we kind of do have that shorthand where I know exactly his style and even though his style progresses almost every different project I still kind of know what he's looking for in, in an edit and it's easy to, to deliver. That's great. Now uh, let's talk about Taylor Swift for a minute because she's been starting to direct some of her own music videos and you have cut several of her music videos that she has, you may have cut all the ones she's directed. I'm not sure, but I'm looking back on the, uh, on some internet stuff. I didn't realize, I knew she had moved into directing, but I don't think I realized she had directed three of her, uh, of her, of her music videos, which is, mm-hmm. which is pretty, pretty cool. And you've cut all three of those, I think, correct? Yes, correct. So how did that transition happen? Because, I have to think that like the drama person in me wants to think there's some kind of great and grand story there where like Taylor Swift stole Chancellor from Joseph, you know, to cut her music videos and there's tension and there's anger. And I'm sure it's not that at all. Yeah, I certainly hope that's not what's going around. <laughs> I certainly hope that's not what's going around in the tabloids, but <laughs> no, I'm making that up, man. Rumors. <laughs> tabloids for the kids. That's an old newspaper that people learn things from before Twitter. Yes. And it was often most usually not true, kind of like Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> but no, um, when she... I think when she was starting that album uh, for for Lover, she started uh, working with some other people and 
then she decided she wanted to try and direct something on her own. And she tapped into me because she wanted to try the onset workflow that Joseph had and taught me how to do. So she, uh, her people hit me up and I actually went to Joseph first because I was wanting to get his blessing before I went off and worked with an artist he that he wasn't working with anymore because he had started doing some bigger things and everyone was kind of going their own separate way. So I particularly didn't want to start any drama. So I was like, hey, Joseph, uh, Taylor's hitting me up about editing on set. What do you think? He was like, go for it. It should be, it should be, should be good for you. It should be fun. I was like, okay. So yeah, that he, if, if he kind of gave me the blessing. So if, if, if it wasn't for him giving me the blessing, I probably would have respectfully declined. Well, I think that's an important relationships and that sort of really, really pinpoints it there because you had that longstanding relationship much longer with, with Joseph than mm-hmm. you did with, with Taylor. Yeah. So I, I think that's like a lesson to the kids out there who are wondering what tabloids and VHS is. <laughs> yeah. Don't burn the bridges, you know, keep those relationships intact. And, and I, I you know, I, I think it's a, says something about Joseph that he was able to say, Hey man, this is a great, it's a great opportunity. You have a lot of fun, uh, you know, go, go do it because that's a, yeah. I mean, you know, as great as a director as Joseph Kahn is i mean to see director taylor swift and you as the editor is i mean that's that's a pretty good credit to uh to have as well yeah it's fun and, and it's and it's fun because i she definitely is really good she's learned a lot from i'm pretty sure watching the way joseph and i worked on set and because it's a very good workflow it's i don't normally do the onset thing with a lot of other people at this point it's kind of just been joseph and taylor because you kind of have to have a certain eye and and uh plan of shooting like the the go and spray uh uh, uh spray and pray method of shooting just shooting a bunch <laughs> of stuff that kind of stuff would not work for onset i mean you could try it but it would be a, a big headache for me <laughs> but but uh we it, it, she definitely learned how to plan the shoots very well and storyboard and do things like that that makes the onset workflow work a lot better. So many music videos are spray and pray. And I, I'm talking high end music videos, not just low budget stuff where you take mm-hmm. out, you know, the joke used to be you get three Canon 5Ds out there and you just roll them all three all the time all <laughs> for multiple days and, and yeah. see what you get. Um, I think that does still happen. But, uh, you know, a lot of the videos you work on are very visual effects driven. So, mm-hmm. you don't, if you're cutting them on set, you're not seeing a lot of those visual visual effects. Exactly. What is the process there for dealing with visual visual effects? Because it's almost, there are many movies as we talked about, but when you add the visual effects element into it, they are very much a mini, a mini movie because you have to go through the process of developing the effects, approving the effects, integrating mm-hmm. the effects. How do you, what is your approach when you know it's going to be a very effect driven piece? That is another instance where where trust is involved with trust in the director, you know, trust in the editor, trust in the production in general. Um, because the first cuts are always just, you know, rough comps that I'll do in Avid or in Premiere and, you know, uh, some rough green screens. And sometimes it'll just be the performance over green screen if, if the background is supposed to be completely CG. So there's a lot of things that don't look up to par in a rough cut. And it takes someone with, you know, trust to kind of just like understand where it's going. Cause a lot of those things need to be locked early on so we can start doing the VFX. So, you know, artists like Taylor and even JLo and Jonas brothers, you know, people like that who respect and you trust the director, they kind of just, you know, see those kind of things and say, okay, so this is going to be all right. You know, and then just lock the cut and we can move forward with making it look pretty, you know, trust relationships. These are words that all kind of, kind of go together there. I, th- I think we've got some good, we've got the word moment we talked about finding those moments, mm-hmm. trusting the, uh, the, you know, the people that you hire, the people you're, you're working with and the relationships established between those people is all very important stuff in, um, in filmmaking. Now, what, one thing on on music videos is you are, they're a unique, world because they're a song that you normally listen to, Mm -hmm. but you've got a visual element because you're watching them. So, so those two things marry in a very, very particular, very unique way. I think often I think, and I find when music videos I cut, I'm trying to find ways to sort of punctuate the song and the beats with things that I'm seeing on, on screen. Yes. And I think that's a, you know, that's part of the wonder of a music video, but if you're working with a lot of visual effects, how are you, I don't not necessarily how are you, but are what where in your mind are you trying to meld 
picture and music to try to make those two things purposefully together in a very artful way. If, if, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. What I just asked. Totally. Yeah, I totally. And it's something that I definitely learned and started practicing uh, later on in my career than when I first started. Um, Cause I mean, initially you think when you think music videos is editing shots to the beat or quick cuts and things like that. But I've like really grown to love musicals and, and things like that. So I love to, edit things with longer takes and edit things within the frame. So a lot of times I'll make something that's happening in the frame happen to the beat and not necessarily the cut happening to the beat. So when it comes to visual effects, um, I'll do rough comps and edit something uh, like on a green screen and make sure the timing is correct so that, you know, once it's done in VFX for real, then that, that actually happens the way I want it to. So it's it probably will look really bad in my edit, but as long as the timing is right, you know, I like editing things within the frame. I find myself incredibly guilty sometimes of of cutting on beats and wanting to cut on beats almost as I, I realize that I'm like, you know what, I'm cutting too much on the beat, but sometimes I can't stop myself. <laughs> but I, but I think that's a really important point for someone who's thinking about editing music videos is the it's the, the stuff within the frame punctuating the beat and not the cut punctuating the beat, whether that, you know, whether that's a guitar or a drum or right. it's, and sometimes it can even be like the artists, you know, just them doing something with their body or just the way they, they, they sing. And I think that's, I think that's really one of the fun things about music videos, but I think, to take that a step further on some of the story driven pieces that you've worked on, you've got action going on, you've got fight scenes, yeah. you've got people being thrown out of business, out of buildings. So you're, so you're, going beyond just the artist or the band punctuating stuff. You've got action elements and, and so much of the story doing the same thing. I mean, I just really love uh, movement in general and in pictures. So like anytime I can find a certain punctuation in, a, in someone's move or their look that just goes with a guitar riff or goes with a drum beat, I always, those are the kind of things that I mark. You know, a lot of times I'm not marking like a favorite shot. I'm marking what this person did in the shot or how they, how they moved. And those are the type of things that catch my eye. Yeah. It's almost like the, the visual element is an instrument of the, of the song. Just, it's just as important in videos as, as the guitar, as the drum, and sometimes the artist. it's the visual element is an instrument to kind of help make the, to sell the whole video and, and make the experience even, even deeper. I think, I don't, someone I think maybe said that to me about editing music video. They said the, the video is an instrument. And I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> it kind of is. It is cool. I never thought about that. Yep. Today's movies and TV shows operate in terabytes. So why do most file sharing providers cap data transfers to a couple of hundred gigs? Modern filmmaking runs on massive files and massive files call for massive transfer. Spelled M-A-S-V, Massive is a file sharing solution for those who want to move heavy, uncompressed videos through the cloud without limits. No subscriptions, no complicated IT setups. Massive's pay-as-you-go model is designed to ship big files in record time at $0.25 per gigabyte, and all you need is an internet connection. Sign up for Massive today using massive.io slash AOTF and get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. That's massive.io slash AOTF for 100 gigabytes free. So I'm going to talk about colors and colorists for a second because with okay. music videos and also with commercials, because we're, we're going to commercials in a second because you do a lot of commercial work too. Yes. It's very polished look. So it's very gorgeous. It's good looking stuff. The footage is shot well. It's There's 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 a real in, intricacy taken in in the effects, in the, uh, in the color grading. What relationship do you as the editor have with a colorist when you're in this in these genres that are where the final look is so very important? It's mainly just an appreciation because I, I I don't always have a say on who the colorist is. A lot of times I will uh our um a lot of times I will uh reference one or say, Hey, why don't you hit up Dave Hussey? Because you know, he's super great, you know. He is amazing. I'll do that whenever I can, but it's it's not really like my my say. So my main goal um, is whenever I'm in a session, making sure they have all the material they need, make sure they have the shots. If they're missing anything, I'm usually there with my laptop in the drive to hand, hand it over or I have access to the assistants and I'll tell them what we're missing. But I'm usually just in there marveling and watching, watching <laughs> them work. So, <laughs> But you, you, you are going to most of the, I guess as much as you can, go into the color sessions. As much as I can. Yeah. I mean, the last couple, of course, have been via Zoom, but um, 
pre-pandemic, I was at as many of the sessions as I could be. Continuing on the color, this is probably actually before happens before color, but what about, uh, and this is something with, with artists that you may not experience with other types of things that people edit, but you have the, uh, the vanity side of things where they have to look good. They, they have to, oh, there's a blemish there. There's this there. Their hair is out of place there. How, how does that come into effect as you're going through a music video? Because I'm sure there are people that watch the cuts. Then the, the only reason they're watching rough cuts is to look for things that are less, not super flattering with the artist. Or the, Does that stuff ever come into play? I'm sure there's lots of painting that goes on depending on what, it, what, the, uh, what the job is. Mm-hmm. A lot of times um, it, 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 it is a lot of vanity notes uh, on the edit. And in those situations, we tend to try and find other takes that work better. And if not, we sometimes can just let them know, hey, we'll clean this up in finishing and post. And sometimes that'll, that'll work, you know, but um, a lot of times we do have to change some edits based on how a, an artist or a certain person looks in the shot or, or their, what their performance did to their hair or their face or something like that. But I mean, that's just kind of the nature of the game though. We always have a, a backup, you know, I'm always picking like my favorite shots first and I know deep down it, it may not always last. On average, let's see, how many times do you roll your eyes as you're getting notes back? Would you say 50, <laughs> 150? No, I guess that depends on the job, too, because there could, there could be several eye rolls on one project and then not many on another. So. You ain't kidding. Um, well, you actually mentioned sort of having backups. When you have multiple performances, that is kind of a nice thing about that is you can often have uh, you can have backups to a performance and they've done yep. multiple takes. And usually you can find something. Do you? I mean, let's, talk, uh, let's talk tech for a minute because you mentioned Premiere and you mentioned avid i think you probably mm-hmm. do you do more of your work in avid these days or, or have you transitioned more into premiere it's it's about even now so when i first started with joseph um we were all avid he was he's been cutting avid since he started you know way back and and he started the whole uh onset editing thing back in I think early 2000s and when i came into that and learned that process i was all avid and uh and then I would do Premiere when I needed to, because I well, before I started working professionally, I was cutting on Premiere and Final Cut, because that's all I could get on my computer at the time. But then I started getting more into Avid when I moved to LA, and I really love Avid. So uh, lately, we just started switching over to Premiere with Joseph because of um, just a it was a better workflow for finishing um, for some of the you know finishing houses that we work with. So. We started working with Premiere and I've been doing all of his jobs in Premiere. And then when I do commercials at my company, most of the time it's in Avid. On on your, uh, when you're doing music videos with performance, are you using multicam? I know that's kind of, that's, that's, a, that's often some sort of almost like a philosophical discussion for music video people. With music videos, uh, especially when I would cut them in Avid, we take the entire performance, all performance takes and group them as a one big performance group. And I could look through them all. Uh, based on where it is in the song, so right, yeah, I, I, I've had these discussions with editors sometimes that, that don't do that on music videos, and it, and it and I sort of look at them thinking it's it seems so much easier to be able to at any one given point just to go to that point and just quickly switch to the different angles to see mm-hmm. to see to see what you have, um, yeah. But yet at the same time, there are those that I've seen those that still love to just stack them all up in the timeline and kind of cut away what they don't want, which I guess gets the same result, but it seems much less efficient. Yeah, you know, I've tried it both ways. And uh, when I did a couple of videos in Premiere, because um, I'm, I'm honestly not as good at syncing audio in Premiere as I am in Avid. So I've done the stack in Premiere when I had to, and I did not really like it that much. Uh it worked and I got the job done, but I, I do think for me, it was a little bit more efficient for me to group them all. And a lot of times I didn't actually even edit with the group. I would use that to find what I need to find in the edit and then place it where I wanted it to. I mean, there's sometimes I would use the uh, group to, to edit, but I usually like to just find moments that I like first and kind of pepper them in and then fill out the rest of it. And there's no right or wrong way to do any of this stuff, to be quite honest with you. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very much, uh, you know, a, a personal thing. I think I, I'm a lot of stuff I work on is speed is important. And it's like, hey, you only have so much time or you've only the budget's only this much. So it's like, oh, you got to get this done, done pretty get quickly. Get it done, I, right? Yeah. And I, I find the grouping the multicam style to make things much faster. But I, I've, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen, we've, again, we follow each other on Twitter for a long time. Every now and then I'll post these, 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 uh, screen grabs, usually in premiere of these, you know, like, Oh, there's 
that's 50 layers deep. Like what is all these little clips all over the timeline? That's, <laughs> yeah. I've got this, when I do music videos, it's, I feel like I kind of want to watch every second of every performance just to make sure I don't miss any little thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll grab these little things out of sometimes out of context, but usually within, in the, in the piece of performance and just kind of throw them all on there where I can say, all right, it, these are my favorites of everything. And it looks like an insane mess, but like my desk, I know exactly where everything is and I'm going right. to, I'm going to work messily, but clean it up before I have to, you know, hand it off or, or when I get done. And I think, I think messy can be okay if you, if, if it's for your own mess. Right. If you know where everything is in the mess, then that, it's all that matters. Now you work a lot in, in, in commercials. So how did mm-hmm. you, did you make a transition into commercials? Were you doing some commercials before music videos or how, how did, uh, cause you've done a lot of high end commercial, commercial work as well. Yeah. And that's, that's all again, thanks to Joseph. Cause when I first started, you know, freelancing, um, I was basically just cutting stuff for him and then, uh, I was able to start assistant editing at some commercial houses around LA uh, while I was freelancing for him. So like that was, that was a good money hustle for me to be an assistant editor. Cause I did not know that assistants made as much as they made. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> let me, let me do that. So I started doing that while I was cutting for Joseph. And then as I started assisting around town, I started getting to know more people in commercials. And then I would, I would edit on set for Joseph on his commercials but since I wasn't like repped by a company yet, I would edit on set for him and then the commercial would go to someone else at like a post house and they'd finish it. So I was getting a taste of like how commercials were done and everything. So with my music video reel and working at a bunch of commercial houses, I was able to eventually kind of work my way up to being an editor at a commercial house. And then I started cutting commercials for Joseph. We talked about music videos where you've got artists and you've got management on the commercial side of things. You have, you still have the director, but then you have agencies and you have agency people and more agency people, perhaps some people at the company, but mainly a lot more agency people who are their own um, interesting people to deal with. How do those two worlds compare? With commercials, there's, I feel like there's a lot more cooks in the kitchen um, and a lot more people that the cuts have to go through and the, the notes can be extensive depending on the project you're working on. So with commercials, you kind of just have to put in your best effort and then uh, keep the, keep the cut shaped up as possible as you can while the different notes come through the line, you know? It's, it seems like on the one hand, that's kind of an insane thought because with music videos, you have artists, you have management. I mean, there, you know, we talked about all the different worlds of, uh, you know, the worlds around musical artists, especially big musical mm-hmm. artists. With commercials, oh, it's just an agency. Uh, you know, and the, the, you're, you're shielded from the brand often because of the agency, but it would seem like, oh, it's just the agency. How, why is that so much, I don't want to say worse, but why is that so much more worse sometimes? But I think you're, there's so many people in an agency that feels like they have to touch something. You have to like bite your tongue sometimes. You do. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm working on a, a, a job right now. I won't say the product, but it's one of those things where you're, it's a commercial, but it also has like a, a, a music artist in it. So you're dealing with not only uh, agency and all those hooks in the kitchen, but then you're getting approval from artists and their people and it goes up the ladder, but then by the time it's up the ladder, some someone at the bottom of the ladder hasn't had their say yet. And so you gotta go back and do what they want. <laughs> and it's oh just my gosh. a lot of a lot of saying, you know, a lot of people with ideas uh for a 30 second spot. And it's like, all right, guys, I mean, <laughs> this this could have been done three weeks ago. <laughs> well, how do you deal with uh timelines on things like that? Because often spots, I would assume, they have much harder sort of air deadlines and maybe a music video maybe they don't, but I would think they probably are, are much on much harder deadlines than a music video might be. So how do you at some point do you just have to say there's well, there's no more time or is that where the director's able to run some interference there? I assume they're probably running a lot of interference for you. A lot of times it seems like since they the agency and the people in, in advertising and even the client, they have the money to throw around, they just extend the deadline. I mean, some, there's been a lot of times where things needed to be locked, but it wasn't. They just they just paid the overages because they could and we just kept going, you know? Wow. And I'm sure they have an air date to meet, but I mean, the, the edit schedule seems to be pretty flexible in their eyes. So a lot of times that could fluctuate. Are you on set for spots? Actually, yeah, um for for, for Joseph's at least. Um and those are easy, a little bit more more chill than music videos as far as the workflow because those are pretty heavily storyboarded and we do a shot and 
we wait for approval from agency and clients. So it's kind of a, a little bit more laid back setting. The music videos are where it's like fun and we're running and gunning, getting shots. And we shooting way faster on music videos than on commercials most of the time. On the, a workflow like that on set, I assume you're not being a DIT. The DIT is handing you stuff over and you're just, you're at a laptop. Is it, is it, is it as simple as that? Or is there, is there a huge video village where you get tents put over you and you get, you know, you get craft services brought to you? <laughs> I, I do get, um, I do get a feed from uh, the video playback and I'm, I'm cutting off of the VTR playback footage so that I can get the shot in as soon as, as soon as Joseph Yale's cut, I can cut it in and see how it looks and play around with it. And then is that is that time code matching the the camera originals? So if you need to get back, or do you have to conform that by eye? Or I conform it by eye because I get the uh, overlay, the video, the video tab overlay. So I see the time code and the clip. I use that on commercials. Sometimes I can overcut with the transcodes from the DIT on the day. But if it's a music video, a lot of times we're moving so fast, I'll just do that. You know, the the day after or once we're done on set. But we usually have like a rough cut of the video or the commercial after you wrap. That's nice. I mean, that that's really has to help the, the, the part of the, the process along after the fact tremendously. Yeah. Oh, it does. And it, it definitely, for, for a lot of the artists, uh, especially Taylor and we did stuff um, for Mariah Carey, when they can see the edit actually happening and see a rough finished product, it makes them feel better about what they did the last day or, or two. Oh, I can, I can imagine. And I'm sure that the expense of bringing, I guess you don't come to the set for free. Maybe you do. The expense of uh, bringing the editor on set is, is, you know, it's far outweighed by being able to leave the set with a, with just a feeling of accomplishment and knowing you got what you needed. Yeah. Like that's, that's gotta be tremendously, you know, so much, well worth the cost. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely worth it. Definitely gives the director a peace of mind, gives, you know, artists peace of mind, gives me a peace of mind too, because I can, I kind of, when I'm diving into the edit after the, uh, after the shoot and I have like, you know, all the VTR footage and I have to overcut it with the transcodes, then I kind of, instead of starting with an empty timeline, I'm kind of just putting in what I've already done and fine tuning some things and finding new moments that I may have missed. So, it's it's a little easier to start a, a fresh edit, not with an empty timeline, but like an idea of where I want it to go. When you have a limited amount of time on any kind of project, you know, the more you can comb through the footage, sometimes the the, you know, the more gems you can find, the more moments that you can find, and that's a, uh, you know, what uh, that's a great um, a great lesson for those who sometimes want to push things too far. It's at some point the editor you don't have you don't give the editor enough time to do what they really need to do. I think that's kind of what it comes down to these days. Sometimes that I mean, are you finding that that turnaround times have been getting smaller and smaller and smaller as as the years have passed by? I think people a lot of times they think this stuff is so easy. You got all the tools on your laptop. You know, is that is that becoming Oh yeah. Is it becoming better or worse? It's I think I think we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot with how fast we have become editorially as a as as a whole because people everyone knows that we can do things quicker so the timelines have gotten a lot shorter. So, I mean, we've we've done some things where I think we were doing Capital One a couple of years ago and um it was a 3-week shoot and we were doing five or six different commercials. The first commercial that we shot on Monday aired that Friday. Wow. Nice. <laughs> Granted, it wasn't as many VFX involved. There was VFX, but we kind of shot it that day, locked it the next day, got it into VFX and got it out. The fact that we edited on set and they knew that we did that is why they even set that schedule. That's fantastic. It sh shows you what you can accomplish when everybody sort of has a plan in mind and they stick to the plan. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. It was it was stressful to look at the schedule and say, oh, you want us to do what? But it actually worked out. <laughs> to work on set like that, you've got to be a fast editor. So I, I assume that you're, I'm, I know that you're fast because you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing if you if you weren't. But there's that balance between being fast and thorough and good. So you kind of, right. you got to be able to do both. And it sounds like you're able to do do both quite well. Yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge because I, I don't want I don't want the quickness of the editing to ever like compromise finding gold and doing fun new things. You know what I mean? So like even when we um shot the film bodied, we cut I cut on set and um we had that time we did have three cameras rolling for like all the battle rap scenes and on set I was just trying to keep up and get things cut together so I had, you know, some kind of a rhythm and whatnot. But I don't think that I found all the nuances of the battle raps and the moments until I was able to sit down with it later 
not on set because that's when I can actually think and find different ways to make the the content of the people looking at each other and make it like a boxing match between them and those kind of nuances I found like when I was able to just sit with the footage. That's great. That's the best of both worlds right there. It sounds like. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask you one more question. We'll wrap on this one. Do uh, so. When are you going to move in doing some of your own directing? You know. I don't think I ever want to direct. Oh, interesting, interesting. This seems you're 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 the you're you're the exception, not the norm. Here's the thing: I I love what directors do so much that I don't want to tamper with it. I when I first started filmmaking and as a kid, and even when I moved to Atlanta and met friends out there, and we shot music videos for fun, it was kind of just I love filmmaking, and I didn't really have a path that I wanted to go down, and I wanted to make things. I just wanted to do things. And when I started to see Joseph firsthand and see what directors actually do, that's that's a really hard job, and it's and I respect it so much that I don't want to tamper with it, <laughs> and I and I feel like I fit in better as an editor. I mean, from time to time, I shoot little family videos to practice editing, and I like to I like composition and I like cinematography. I like to I like to shoot things, you know, and that's fun. I'll, I'll shoot things just so that I can edit them. You know, I, I've done some videos with some friends recently just to kind of play around with things and help them out. And it's never been to be a director. It's kind of just like, well, I want to I want to see a cool video and no one's going to shoot this the way I want it to edit it. So I'm going to do it myself <laughs> and then I'll have something fun to cut. But like, yes, I don't think I ever want to direct. That's that's a 100 percent certainty. Well, I mean, that's great to hear because the people dedicated only to post-production seem to be uh, you know, not so much in L.A. and New York, but, you know, it's a lot of markets like where I am. It seems to be a rarity that people are like, you know, I, I am in post. I only do post. I only want to edit and, and do and do posts. What I see, especially in markets like where I, I live in Nashville, is so many directors are starting to edit their own stuff. I mean, partly a lot of that is budget. The, the mm-hmm. budgets aren't great as they used to be, and they can make more money. I often get the well, I know exactly what I want, but I I from come from the side of you know what you want, but you may get something better with another set of eyes. You may not. Yeah. But it's you know I think it's kind of a, an editorial struggle these days when directors um, you know want to cut their own stuff. And what yeah. I see happening often is. Suddenly, direct there. You see credits, and you see people talking about the production, and and the editor's not listed, which usually means the director cut it. But it sort of belittles the process when they yeah. can't even when they can't even list an editor, even when it's when it's the director. Which, and I really hate that. You know that stuff honestly used to bother me too when um, there wouldn't be editor credits on things. But lately, it doesn't bother me at all because I, I honestly, at this point in my life, I just love watching movies, and and I don't. I just like watching things. I like enjoying the process so i don't really need a credit like working in commercials you don't really get a credit unless you're listed on a roster or the 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 product the uh the editorial company credits you and that's That's cool i like i I really a lot of times i'm just editing things for my friends anyway so if 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 people at my company likes it if if my family likes the stuff i cut that's all i really need i don't really need like any recognition you need a paycheck though yeah that, that's the thing as long <laughs> as i'm able to feed the family i you don't have to have put my name on a credit like i've i've had some artists uh want a co co editor credit because they sat behind me while i cut their video and i was like oh. okay well that's interesting fine. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you want to do. I've seen artists take co-director credits and stuff. And it's like, I don't think you, I was around. I don't think you really did that much to direct <laughs> it, but okay. If that's what you want, um, then, then go ahead. But you know, Hey, su- such as, such as the world that we work in. So I agree with you, you know, for working, having fun and making a good living. That's was the old joke. It beats digging ditches. So exactly. <laughs> so Chancellor, thanks for sitting down and chatting, man. This was a fun, uh, a fun, a fun chat. I, I, I was so, my favorite part of our chat was learning your story of how you got uh, hooked up with Joseph. That's a fantastic story story and i'm and i'm 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 a better person for hearing that i appreciate you sharing that (laughs) well thanks for having me man i i I enjoy the podcast so i'm I'm happy to be on it all right well we'll keep uh keep an eye out for future things and uh good luck on all that uh all that comes your way my friend thanks so much scott